Welcome everybody back to the Domcast episode 54. A team has won four, which means this series is no more. The 2022 NBA Finals have concluded. The Warriors win in six. They finished the Boston Celtics off in six games in spectacular fashion. I have so much to say about this series, about Steph, about Wiggs, about the Warriors dynasty, and uh, just about these last couple of years, because I swear 2019 to now just all feels like one big season ever since well 2019 summer basically since super teams disappeared and uh you know it's, it's been kind of free game and fair game for everybody who's won but we're, we're gonna dive into all of that remember that if you enjoy this podcast if you enjoy supporting it it is on spotify apple Podcasts, it's on youtube rating on any of those platforms helps shout out to all 10 of you that listen on apple Podcasts. all of your ratings are in they are much appreciated all right oh gosh where do i even start naturally first of all congratulations to the warriors now i can actually be happy for y'all i can i can uh you know give y'all all the praise and all the props because the end of the day i think in every finals that golden state has been in besides 2019 2019 i definitely wanted them to lose i was ready for uh i was ready for the the kd team to break up and I thought that them losing in 2019 was the best way for that to happen. But every other finals, I was pretty much going for them in. I was pretty much uh, wanting them to win in. And I've always liked Steph Curry. Uh, very obviously one of the players that everybody likes to watch play, including myself. He's uh, he's you know very high on that list. And I've generally been happy when he wins MVPs or championships. And so uh, now we're finally in game six and it's over. I can say, even if you were in the NBA Twitch watch party last night, you saw I was... That man almost had me emotional, like <laughs> seeing him cry uh, and knowing what this title, excuse me, knowing what this title meant to him. It actually almost made me emotional. I'm like, damn, I'm on I'm on the losing side. Why am I happy for this man like this? Um, no, it's just really cool because about the Warriors and Steph, like there's just nothing else anyone can say. It's at that point where even if you are a fierce Steph hater or Warriors hater and your whole job in basketball discourse is to take shots at what they've done or make excuses about what they've done even if that's your whole function in this in this picture even you've just got to smile and put your sword down now like there's nothing left bro there's nothing left the Warriors have won a championship against teams that were hurt they have won this championship against a team that was not hurt they've won with a super team they've won without a super team like fam, there's there's nothing left and then on top of that this whole narrative that had been built and the the favorite knock that people had on Steph was oh when has he won without things being tipped heavily in his favor when has he won a championship without a, a stacked team or or with the other team hurt even though he's done all these great things in the regular season and he's broke countless records and he's clearly one of the best players of all time he's already proved everything I think his quote encapsulated it perfectly. When we were coming into this series, I made mention of it where he said he had nothing left to prove, but a lot left to accomplish. He had nothing realistically left to prove, just more to accomplish. But to people that would find any way to kind of take a knock at his career, I guess to them, he had something to prove. And now he's even done that. Um, You're going to be able to look back and say when people talk about this finals years from now, when people are discussing his legacy or whatever the conversation is, you will always be able to say, and it's not a knock on Andrew Wiggins, but you will be able to say that he won a championship with the second best player on his team for that series being Andrew Wiggins. And that's not 
to take away from what he did because boy was he incredible in these small spots remember when the map series ended and uh in in the undercover wiggins propaganda i was saying that he just does those small things that will and i don't think they'll go unnoticed anymore because he's done it on the biggest stage but at the time i was just like it's always a small moment for him whether it's a little mid-range jump shot or a rebound or an offensive rebound just these little plays that pushed him over the top to help them win and he did that what felt like all series but definitely in the back half of it and he did it consistently so that will if you came into this year and without any context said the warriors are going to win with that with andrew wiggins being the second best player i just don't think people would have taken that well i don't think that would have been seen as a good take at that time and so yeah the warriors dynasty and and steph curry they've checked every single box and at this point there is nothing left to say i saw a tweet earlier uh from a warriors fan saying that they didn't necessarily even care if they win anymore because this was the missing piece. And I think everyone knew it. I think that's why, like to a degree, it even I, I just don't think it's been worth nitpicking at Curry's career with everything he's done. But I do agree that this type of championship was the elephant in the room still. It's whether you choose to bring it up or harp on it or knock at his legacy for it. That was the choice. But this type of championship was the missing piece. And so now I think Warrior fans and Steph fans alike just feel like, okay, anything they do beyond this is extra. They've won every which way and there, there's nothing left. And the finals MVP, by the way, which we we knew was coming. I um, pretty much it, it said in the last podcast, I thought Wiggins was really he was getting his name in there. But um, yeah, only if it were, it were to have a total repeat for like two or three more games, what I thought he would be seriously considered. At the point that game four had happened, that just seemed like it wrapped it up. If the Warriors would have win, Steph would be found as MVP. He's got that now. So there's just, there's nothing left, y'all. There's nothing left. Um, I don't, I, I can't really imagine. And if you want to go even deeper, you could talk about the story of this and how he did it with the team he was drafted by. Like, you could just go on and on. I just don't even think the purest of Steph haters could find it within their hearts to uh, actually have anything to say now. I just, I just don't think they do. <laughs> okay so the series first of all yeah uh you know losing in six not even getting it to a seventh game you could see at points in these games where the momentum was on the line there was just such a stark difference between the makeup of these teams and the composure of these teams one was a very clear and cut championship team and the other was a good team that is just not quite there yet and um I'm definitely going to have some things about to say about the Celtics offseason and what they should look at because a problem that I was worried about at the very beginning of the season and what I was worried about with this group finally actually became an issue and specifically last night. So the first of all, this loss, I would say people are going to get their bars off or whatever. I get it. It's, it's all fun. Um, I would do the same thing. I would have talked crazy shit at Boston one, but this loss does not hurt as much as 2010 did because 2010 they were up 3-2 and they had two chances to close out and it was against the lakers and then they you didn't know until the last minute basically of game seven that they that they had lost it i would say that hurt worse because after game five the writing was more or less on the wall here after they lost game five i was going i could see boston getting game six but i just i i and i'm glad i stayed consistent I told y'all last pod, 
I didn't think it was any conceivable way this team had the makeup they needed to go into Golden State and win a seventh championship game. I just, even if I had gotten to that point, I'd have just been, it would have been a hope and a prayer. So after losing game four and five, it really just kind of felt like, man, whether this goes six or seven, it's, uh, it's, it's almost inevitable now. So I will say on that front, it definitely didn't feel that way. And also because in 2010, it felt like you were watching two championship teams clash it out and one was just going to have to beat the other. Not, and I'm not saying that to say the Warriors didn't have competition here because Boston had a hell of a run. They were a great defensive team. They probably had athleticism over them. But at a certain point in the series and in all the pods I've done, I've done four pods for this series now, so you can go check the consistency. As it's playing out, I'm just going, damn, Boston more and more is just they're more or less exposing themselves in this final series. The Warriors are outclassing them. The turnovers once again last night were a problem. We were, uh, you know, uh, this time I was on the NBA watch party, the NBA channel watch party with Pika, and even she brought it up. He's like, these turnovers, and I, I kept trying to make sure to get the give the Warriors their credit on defense because their activity and their hands were, were just great in terms of having them up when a pass was going somewhere. They just contested everything, but also the Celtics were throwing the laziest of passes. And credit a lot of that to Jason Tatum, who finished this postseason with 100 turnovers, and I felt each and every one. It was really bad. We're going to get to Jason Tatum and some of the things that are being said, but it was really, really bad. So the turnovers, I've done that enough. That's a, I've beaten that horse to death. Just go listen to any of the pods before this now. Don't have to rehash that. You watched the game last night. I watched it. You saw that. But I thought where I really saw the Warriors outclassing them was when things were going in a different direction for either team. And so anytime the Celtics would get some type of momentum, and it felt this way throughout pretty much all the series, anytime the Celtics would get some of the momentum, you could see the Warriors start to bend a little bit. They never folded though, man. They never folded. They just kept executing the same exact way just over and over and over again. Did not matter if Boston had come back from 15 down in a couple of minutes or if they were hitting all their three pointers. They didn't get frustrated. They were unbothered pretty much that entire time and just was like, okay, well, we're just going to do what we have been doing and it's going to work eventually. And it did. The Celtics, on the other hand, if they would get down, the Warriors would hit a couple of shots if they if the Celtics got momentum and then the Warriors answered that momentum, the Celtics always seemed to break. They seemed to break. They, the offense would get stagnant. You would see them really starting to rush. If you want some examples, so this isn't just cliche speak. Last night, uh, the Celtics are trying to come back. Marcus Smart is sealing off Steph Curry um, yeah, in the post. And again, Curry, I, I have even more to say about his defense. But so Marcus Smart has him in the post. Horford can make the entry pass, but instead he drives towards this post-up action that's happening. And I believe he gets stripped by Curry. So instead of passing it to what I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to call Marcus Smart on Curry an advantage, but instead of pressuring that Horford put the ball on the floor and drove past it and, and tried to lay it up. And I guess I get it, but it was just, that just, that's just really indicative of the kind of do it yourself mentality. This team would get into when they got into a really tight space i'll give you another example post entry passes apparently post entry passes are just a, a thing that the league struggles with in general but i have at least four or five examples in my head throughout boston's run 
uh, throughout this this postseason where they had a great opportunity in the post, like a Jalen Brown on Curry or hell in this series, even last night, a Horford on Curry post up. And they either didn't get to that advantage. They would try to. And it's like, oh, it's not easy. We're not going to do it. Or they would throw it way too early and it would result in a turnover. And it, that was just the most baffling thing to me. I'm like, you, you see, you see this advantage and you're either not going to go to it. You're just going to press triangle, uh, 2K speak. You're just going to press triangle, just a really lazy float pass. Don't really set it up. But also on that front, shout out to Steph Curry, man, because he had Horford in the post and he would fight him. He did not just give it up. He would fight him before he got the ball. Uh, his hands, again, very, very sneaky with his ability to strip the ball away without fouling um you look at his rotations these are the things i'm talking about when i say you just have to from and from now on i really hope if you watch this series and you spoke on curry's defense in a negative way before i just hope you use nuance going forward because you can say that he's undersized and he will be a target but that's just one part of defense though his activity how hard he switched on to jason tatum one play last night like really really quickly and definitively um once again active with the hands just not giving them the advantage that they would want making them work for it but that was the thing though if boston had to work for it and a lot of the plays this series it really seems like they just didn't want it if they had to go a little bit harder if they had to be creative they just didn't want it and so what really happened last night and one of the problems if you go back to way earlier whenever i've done previews for teams and this specific Celtics group, I think my biggest concern really, really shown through last night and probably through a lot of this series, but specifically last night when Boston couldn't score and Warrior, the Warriors defense just got they, it turned into lockdown as in they were chasing them around the three point line and they weren't cracking inside. They weren't giving them any easy paint looks. I think you could see how much Boston really needed an actual, actual point guard. And so they've gotten to the finals with this roster. Once again, difference between a championship team and a really, really good team. It's a very thin line. And earlier in the season, especially when Boston wasn't doing good, I was always kind of wondering, all right, how do they get a legit point guard on this team? And how do they get one that, that fits? So in the scheme of things, right? Not a defensive liability like Kimball Walker was a defensive liability. How do you get a point guard that can set the table for them and also fit in with this defensive scheme? Because that's basically what we went with is, all right, add Marcus Smart to this. Um, let, let his defense mix in with the rest of the lineup and just kind of go from there. We've got two wing guys that allegedly can uh, handle the ball. <laughs> but also that's, that was a really big problem throughout this postseason. And so last night, I think you saw a lot of stagnant ISO possessions and with the Warriors defense, not bending, not, not even bending. Right. And that first, like they were, when the Celtics got to the rim, it was one of those, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put my head down and force something up type drives. It wasn't a, it was never a clean look. And I think you could really see how much they needed a point guard out there to maybe help set Jason Tatum up or to maybe help set Jalen Brown up. Because at the end of the day, having Jason Tatum just catch the ball in the mid-post area on Andrew Wiggins, or hell, even Jordan Poole, just catching a ball in the mid-post area so he can create something out of ISO is not, in my opinion, is not really setting the table. 
especially because even okay on one hand if it's wiggins and you're just getting you're getting locked that's the one but if it's not wiggins and the warriors defense is not just going to give you what you're looking for there so um coming into this series i thought that excuse me one of the keys i had was how would the warriors do in keeping curry out of some of these matchups and the celtics helped them a lot with that by the way oh there's a play last night where steph was just he was on the wing just chilling guarding jalen brown and the ball never made it to, to brown it it turned i can't remember how that possession ended but i rem- I think it ended in a turnover as a matter of fact <laughs> i think it ended in a turnover and it never swung to jalen um but yeah a key that i had in a way that i thought the celtics matched them well was they were going to be able to hunt that and they did for like one game for like one game and a half but a lot of the times if boston had a matchup isolated that the warriors didn't like they had help ready and one thing boston would do is force they will force they will put their head down they will try to drive in between two people um oh and i i just think that that one concern that i had finally mattered that one concern that i had about having a real point guard out there like a real set the table point guard out there with your two wing scores um it, it finally against this warriors defense it really became an issue because when they were down 8 10 15 points and they needed some buckets they were get, rarely getting good looks they were really getting into good looks the ball was really moving guys were just kind of looking at each other and passing each other the ball um and i think the sets are going to need to get a little bit more sophisticated in the future if they want to make it back and win the championship um steph curry it is defense slip to the offense real quick Beginning of the series, I said, and I quote, I said, Al, I did not think the Warriors were going to want uh, to search out Al Horford. And as the series drug on, they wanted that more and more and more. So I was just flat out wrong in that one. I thought that Horford was going to be able to A, either pursue him enough on a switch or B, shade him to help enough f- so that hunting him would not be worth it. It's kind of how I saw that going however the warriors floor became so spaced that in a couple of these plays and a couple of crucial plays especially last night horford got switched on to him i would love to know the stats on this but it seems like curry um they got a layup out of that or a shot almost every time the celtics never really wanted to switch but you would get into those situations where okay and last night the score was 66 76 going into the fourth i believe and at that point you absolutely can't let steph curry score you can't let him start shooting threes anyways because one or two threes was going to blow the game open and they tried trapping once and i believe it ended up in a wiggins three they ended up in a porter three and so when they weren't trapping it's like okay well the only way to not give up a three here is probably just go full switch they went full switch curry just took corford out and just blew right by him just I, I will say, admittedly, I think I probably underrated Curry's speed at this age still. I knew he was a great finisher. I've been I've been advocating for his finishing for a long time when we were still fighting those allegations that somehow if he wasn't hitting threes, he didn't affect the game. I that was that's like a twenty sixteen take. Curry's been a great finisher forever. But man, I I just didn't know if I was expecting to deal with the same pressure downhill that you were getting from some of the stars that they played earlier in the playoffs now the thing with that is it wasn't as consistent but if it was there he took it every single time he attacked that every single time and so the ball screens that was just nightmare you you had no choice you had no choices that was the big uh conversation that we stuck with personally a decision that i will always disagree with would be the way that they switched the coverage 
uh, midway. Well, really, when they were down. Was it when they were down? Which game did we start? Which game did we hit the big red button on Curry? God, no, it was tied. It was, it was tied when they decided that they're going to try to take Curry out of the series. And last night, it didn't work. Um, he still got to his looks. But that was where they geared it more towards, all right, let's chase Curry around. And I really think that did more harm than good. I truly think they did more harm than good. If they could go back, I would hope that they just say, look, we're going to live with Curry trying to carry as much as possible. And if we end up winning the game by a couple of points, we win. We lose it by a couple of points, we lose. But I did not like the switch up. But again, this is what a great team makes you do, right? They make you choose. They literally make you choose because your options were very limited. The switching was a bad option. And so you were left with either trapping or some form of drop. Though That was the only option because switching was just free, free lunch. Um, and neither one of those, like, take the Warriors out of the game. They could play both ways. So the Golden State guys stepped up at that time when they needed to. Oh, speaking of which, shout out to Dre, man. Draymond Greed just had a terrible series up to really up to game five, I would say. As it was starting to close out, he for for what he was needing to provide, because he didn't need to give you a lot of points, for what he was needing to provide, he did an excellent job, man. Just what a smart defensive player. Even if Jalen Brown was able to get some of what he wanted earlier in the series, Dre's smarts have not left whatsoever. There was one play where Jason Tatum, knowing that he's getting close to this 100 turnover mark, Jason Tatum caught the ball in the post area. It must have been a bad matchup because Golden State, sorry, Draymond trapped immediately. It was on the, uh, it was like near the right baseline area. Draymond trapped almost as soon as Tatum caught it. Tatum panicked and turned it over like immediately. And that's just Dre knowing, hey, right now, Tatum is not, in this series, he's not making good decisions. In game one, or yeah, when he wasn't scoring, he had 13 assists. The playmaking was there. I would say one, because yeah, I did go on a little playmaking thing for Tatum, despite the turnovers this, this postseason. I would say Tatum's growth has been in the fact that he won't just shoot himself into oblivion. And he's become a more willing passer over the... Uh, over the year now the next evolution is in the playoffs and in the clutch to become a better passer <laughs> like he's got to become a better passer because man some of the passes that he made just were they were just they were just bad some of the turnovers were just bad uh credit to golden state defense but some of the turnovers were just i'm just gonna one arm swing this to the guy next to me while his defender's standing right by him or the ball is just gonna slip or it, it was just really, really questionable turnovers, which is why I have made very little mention of his very obviously injured shoulder, because some of those passes were just like, all right, come on now. I unless to for the shoulder to be the bill for some of those passes, I would need to see him like really, really in some physical pain. He played through pain, obviously. But some of these were just bad ideas. I keep saying that it's like the fifth time I said it. But I want to drive home that that's not an excuse. The shoulder ain't an excuse. And you can say it affected his finishing or whatever, but they were still in enough of these games that if they had just changed the idea or method on some of these, they could have been in a better position. And so, yeah, Tatum just had a bad finals, bro. He had a bad finals. Not going to pretend I don't know that he was hurt, but it, this was a really, really, really bad finals for him. Um, for the type of caliber player that he is in the run that he had before this, this just, it just, just wasn't good, man. This was not good. So... That's pretty much all I have to say about that. Again, you watched it. I watched it. Um, 
and and Wiggins locked his shit up. Wiggins had him in Alcatraz. Like, <laughs> I think there was one play towards the end of the game that just encapsulated that matchup perfectly. Tatum catches the ball on the uh, left left corner. Wiggs is all in his airspace. Tatum travels. That one play right there. If you didn't watch this series at all, that one play right there would tell you everything you need to know. I think I saw Tatum get free for one easy bucket this entire series on Wiggs, and it was last night uh, on a cut to the rim. That was it. Other than that, Wiggs off ball, his rotations, his closeouts, even if it wasn't on Tatum, his closeouts to the corner as Boston was swinging the ball, his closeouts were godly. Um, His rebounding at a point where the Celtics were trying to seize some momentum because every single time, like I said, they got some momentum. The Warriors just took it right back. I think it was a Curry missed three. The Robert Williams is boxing out Kevon Looney. Guess who's boxing out Wiggins? Nobody. Nobody. Wiggins with the tip kills the momentum. He had a couple of important threes. He just did everything that they that they needed him to seriously. Um, and I couldn't be ha- I could not be happier for him. Like I defended his All Star pick on this podcast when it happened. Not his starting pick. Like the starting, no. He, I didn't think he was a starter. But to this day, I question some of the content that I saw because when he made the All Star team, I saw content about like how he just didn't deserve it at all. And if you thought somebody else deserved it over him, like if there was there was like the Ingram talk and all that, if you thought that there were players that should have been an All Star over Wiggins, I understood that. There's always going to be, especially when it gets to those type of guys, there's always going to be questions about who should have made it over who when it's those caliber players. But to question that he was at an All Star level up to that point, because I know he wasn't great really after the all-star break for a while but up to that all-star point i had no clue how anybody could have been paying attention to his season and said that he it was outlandish for him to be an all-star and again this is the part welcome to the uh, last edition of the season of everything in life is optics him being a starter i think is what i think he would just kind of mix that in and ran with it but him being an all-star i just i i don't know um I just don't know why that was such a crazy thing at the time that it happened. But anyways, yes, Wiggins propaganda has been a thing on the pod. It's been a thing on Twitter. When he got traded to the Warriors, I just thought, damn, once they get Clay back, this is perfect. This is perfecto. The things that Clay used to do defensively, he doesn't have to do anymore. They can put Wiggs on the best assignment. He's the young guy with the fresh legs. Clay can be a support role defensively now. They used to have him guard all the Steph's guys. They can just have Wiggs do that. And his athleticism, you know, he's going to feed off of that. He's going to get open shots and it's not going to be very pressured to make any. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very happy for Andrew Wiggins, man. Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, the two guys that I am the happiest for. Clay as well, because obviously coming back from what he did the last two years, this is great. But those two, man, this has just been been great to watch. Um, Yeah, and, and Boston, you know, it's crazy now as we start to wrap up a little bit. It is crazy looking ahead to the 2023 season because it is like a lottery ball machine so thinking of who is going to make the finals for the next couple of years assuming whatever happens with the cba agreement without the advent of some super team out of nowhere these teams are going to come back healthy and retooled. Miami is going to come back retooled because I know they're not going to bring back that same exact roster. There's no way. Harden, uh, I'm going to give him one more chance to be healthy. We'll see what the Sixers do. Uh, Milwaukee will come back healthy. Chris Middleton will be there. Giannis, we'll see what they do with that roster. I think that they do need to change the formula a little bit because even 
without even with Middleton, their offense was questionable at times. So I think Milwaukee to keep themselves to reinvigorate themselves and keep going for more championships for Giannis. I think they've got some work to do there. But that's just on the east side and on the west side, the Nuggets are going to come back healthy. The Clippers are going to come back healthy. We'll see what the Suns do. I have sneaking suspicion that uh, they're looking to move Aiden. Like it just feels ever since I made that video at the beginning of the season where they didn't pay him. I've been seeing this plot and it really feels like that one's going to come true sooner or later. Uh, the Mavericks just made a move like the Warriors going to get their young guys back or it's not young guys back. going to get Wiseman next year, whether they decide to trade him or develop him going to get him on top of a developing Moody and Kaminga. There's so much going on in a league where there's not a clear cut winner every year. Hell, the Lakers, uh, I'm assuming they, they, they have to retool if they want a chance. But long story short, a lot of teams have a chance to go for it. And the finals could be totally different next year. Or it could be the Warriors versus somebody else. In either conference, it's going to be really, really, really hard to make it back. Just where from where we sit today, it's going to be really hard to make it back. And so I agree totally with what Mark Jackson was saying last night. Everyone wants to look at young teams like Boston and say, oh, they'll be back. Dre last night told them they'll be back. We told the Thunder the same thing when KD Harden and Westbrook were holding each other's shoulders at the end of that Heat series. We always say, oh, yeah, they're young. They're super talented. They will be back. That is that's nice to think, but it doesn't always work out. As a matter of fact, just before I get to the next point, when has it really when has that worked out last Um, like a young team losing and saying, let me, let me just do some quick math because the thunder didn't get back. And so the, it was heat Spurs, 13 heat Spurs, 14. It was, and after that, gosh, it was warriors Cavs for the next couple of years. Okay. So yeah, it really didn't work out like that. A lot of the time circumstantial, whatever super teams exist. Yeah. But that's why, right? The, uh, The next super team could be right around the corner. The next injury could be right around the corner. Um, the team could implode like so many things go into that. That is not just as simple as, oh, they have a lot of young talent and they made a lot of mistakes, but they were still here. So they should get back. Mark Jackson said, I made it to the finals one time in my 17 year career. You have no clue what's going to happen after this. So you got to seize the moment when you get there as best you can. And while Boston clearly, clearly wasn't ready, they were just right on that line, but they they did not have the, the championship DNA that the Warriors had, which sounds so lame and cliche, but if you watch this series, you could see it in 1080p and 4K. You can see it in front of your eyes. One was a championship team and one is aspiring. Um, it would have been really nice to have Tatum, if he, if he was not going to finish because he had Wiggins on him and his shoulder was bad, whatever, but it would have been really nice for him not to have 100 turnovers throughout the postseason and uh, and some crucial turnovers in the final series. Hopefully it makes him better and um, this doesn't break him because he was, I mean, he, anybody would be hurt after a finals loss, so right? I don't think it's going to break him, but man, there is no guarantee. If you want to know how I feel about it, supporting the squad, there is literally no guarantee this team, as we see it, will ever get back. Um it's going to be hard. It is going to be really, really hard. So that's that's where I am with that. And gosh, that is more or less what I have to say about that final series. Um, Curry, once again, this he comes with everything aside from the great basketball. There was the sideshow man pointed to his finger. I believe it was his ring finger. <laughs> Oh, while Boston still had a chance to come back, so that was interesting because that would have been all time. If they did, if the Celtics could have held on to any of that momentum and won, that would have been an all-time fold. But I didn't think that was going to happen. 
Um, Dre gets to talk his shit now. He showed up too. It's not like you can't just say, oh, he got carried. Now he hit threes last night. That's when I knew it was over. When Dre was hitting threes and jump shots, I was like, okay, yeah, but this one, this is their night. This, this night belongs to them. Um, the Warriors won this championship with it not being an overwhelming team, as we said, but not even just that. Clay, very hit or miss throughout the series, had a couple of good games. He gave them what he could. Uh, but they just had to figure this one out. They just had to figure this one out, and they did. So, yeah, that's that's what I have to say, man. The 2022 season is over. As I said, the podcast will keep going. So I appreciate y'all listening from start to finish. I think I started a month after the season, and uh, we are already here. Once again, congratulations to Golden State and their fans. Uh, I totally agree. Y'all have nothing. Y'all have no, I know y'all probably want to win more, but if y'all never win again with this core, y- your story is written. So anything after this is extra. Um, this must be what it felt like to live through the Bulls dynasty because the Warriors, while it's not the Bulls dynasty, they have not lost unless they were unless there was some outside circumstance. They haven't lost. They got injured to hell in 2019. That's when they lost hell in 2016. There was a suspension and there was the injury. Um, they, they have not just straight up been beat yet. And I, that's not, I don't want to take away from 2016. That's still being down 3 1 to that team and winning under any circumstance was crazy. But they have not just been straight knocked off with nothing interfering yet. That That hasn't happened. So I'm excited to see how much longer it goes. Steph is still Steph. Um, Golden State. They're, they got that Spurs. They have the Spurs roadmap, man. They have the Spurs roadmap where they're developing young guys while the old core is still winning championships. And so as long as that they're able to actually keep that intact, or if they're able to keep that intact, um, this could go on, man. This could absolutely go on. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of talking about Brian Windhorst's comments, but there's really no reason. Just to wrap up this podcast, I want to mention that Christian Wood was traded since we are moving right into the offseason. Yes, Christian Wood was traded to the Dallas Mavericks for a late first round pick, Boban. And um, I didn't see Marcus Chris's name mentioned in that original trade. Somebody said that it was. But either way, they got Christian Wood for pretty cheap. I think his name probably came up on this podcast earlier in the season when he thought he might be traded because obviously he had that big contract with the Rockets at a time when it looked like they were still trying to play for something. And then they went into rebuild. So he's never made sense there you know, since that point, basically. Knew he'd be traded eventually. I thought the price would be a little bit higher. I will say that for the Dallas Mavericks, it's not the end of their work. It just doesn't put them over the top, but I get it. I, I do see what they're doing as far as how they played this year, um, the style that they were playing, and the fact that they didn't have to dig into any of that and give it up um, to acquire him. I like it. They just they just got more to do this summer. Um, I'm most fascinated by how it works out defensively. That's pretty much where I am with it because... And that, that can change, right? Again, playing on a Rockets team, you know nothing is really like coming of this, basically. You're a highly played, highly played, highly paid player on a rebuilding team. You're just kind of there. So Mavericks playing for something. I'm interested to see if if that affects anything. But other than that, that's the side that I'm most interested in because I'm just kind of thinking like, all right, <clears throat> P PNR involving Luca and Christian Wood just from what we've known about those two I I do wonder about that 
So that's a little bit that I have to say from it, but I, I get it from the Mavs. If that deal is on the table and you're Dallas, you don't you don't not do that, <laughs> in my opinion. And the Rockets, again, just a young team in building. So you get uh, a pick here, um, which we know very well late first round picks can end up being something good. So, yeah, that, that's literally all I have to say about that. You know, little taste of off-season potting. We'll have some guests on. I was going to bring on NBA Storyteller for this one because he's a Warriors fan, but um, we didn't get to make that connection for today. So I'll have him on in the summer whenever we talk about Golden State. This has been fun. This has been fun. What a season, bro. What a season. What a finish. Did not at all expect the Celtics to be here uh, through up until like March, maybe. March, late March, I would say. Yeah, that was basically when I thought that it was it was even possible. So although they definitely disappointed in this final series, don't want to let it be forgotten that we came into this year and Josh Richardson was on the team. We were getting Langford minutes. They were a 500 team in January. The season just seemed like a like a waste. And I fully, fully imagined that because they had been to the conference final so many times and they, they'd been building this for years. And now it was just a 500 squad. I fully thought they were about to make some big moves. And they turned that around organically with first year head coach Ime Doka and, and made it to the finals, made it to game six of the finals against this dynasty. So I am proud of the season that they had. I don't think anyone, including myself, picked the Celtics to come out of the East at the start. And not e again, not even up until like the last couple of months did that even seem possible. So it was fun. I enjoyed going to the games. I imagine that I will be at a lot more next year. And uh, the content will live on. The podcast will live on. I will have a Warriors video out on the main channel within a couple of days here because it's story time. Yeah, I, I there's one thing I enjoy about basketball. It is the story. And I enjoy uh, telling that story. So got to get in back into the little video essay bag a little bit here. Halfway through the year. I haven't done many this year. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to hit the like button, comment, sub, and hit the bell next to my name. If you want a notification every time the new pod drops, I would assume the next pod is probably going to be, oh gosh, it might be on Monday. We'll see if I can get a guest this weekend. All right. Appreciate y'all watching. Bring on summer 2022.